I'm just going to pray and get straight into the word this morning because I'm looking forward to sharing with you. I enjoyed our first uh, community of believers that came together, and here we are again. So, Father, thank you for this time that we get to be together. I can't thank you enough for the strength that you put into us as we gather, as we love each other and see each other and are encouraged by each other. And that's what I pray is that we will not forsake the gathering together as we understand that this is the place where we rally. This is the place where we realize that we're not alone. This is the place where we get to worship and connect with you. This is the place where we are equipped and reminded and activated to go out and do the work of the ministry in our spheres of influence. This is the place where you remind us of our why as a people. And so I I pray that today would be a sacred moment for some of us, that we would remember that we would go back to our roots as a, as a family, as a part of the body of Christ, and remember why you have us gathering together on these Sundays and throughout the week, and why you have positioned us in this city and in our workplaces. God, would this be a day of reminding? Would this be a day of equipping? Would this be a day of uh, activation and um, encouragement? And I just thank you for your scripture. I thank you that it is always speaking to us, that it is alive, and so may it speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. So guys, it has been almost 10 years since we moved here. My husband and I, there's a lot of activity and I am very distracted. I'm just letting you know that this is difficult for me when there's a lot of movement. I am like pinging all over the place. This is what happens in my brain. Um, So, just sorry. Happens in my house as well. (laughs) So, um, Uh, Nine and a half years ago, we moved from Sydney, Australia, and as you can tell, I am obviously not from Australia. I'm from the Northwest, so if you're new or visiting with us and you're wondering, what is she talking about, that is why. I was was born there, but um, we moved here almost 10 years ago, and, and we started going, God, how do you build a church? What are, you, what are you supposed to do? Like, how do you actually do that? So we were reading the book of Acts, because where else do you go? Like, that's where the church emerged on the earth through a small group of people that decided to bring the gospel wherever they were. And this is how the church began. So we're reading the book of Acts. So this is what we did. We moved here. And in the mornings, we had a Bible study. And honestly, it was my husband and I and our three kids at the time. I have four now. If you don't know, <laughs> might as well have an American. And uh, so... <laughs> I had uh, three kids at the time, and then we had two friends that lived in the city, and they were going to another church. Even they didn't want to come with us. We were like, okay, rude. Don't go to our church. So we started by just reading the book of Acts together in in the park, and then we started uh, family dinners. We're like, okay, let's have dinner at our house. Let's just make, and every other week, it was basically making me making tacos or pasta, because that's really all I could do in bulk. Like, I had no, right? That's it. Tacos and pasta. So every other week in our tiny little apartment that was a complete miracle, uh, we just had random people showing up. And do you know how we built the church? It was, I would be sitting, working on my lap laptop and someone would ask me, so what are you doing here? And I'm like, well, now that you ask, I am here planting a church. They're like, what does that even mean? And we would begin to talk and I'd share the gospel and I'd share what God was doing and I'd invite them to dinner. And and, uh, many people came to those dinners that are still having dinner at my house. They still show up in my home. They keep walking in. And I am grateful for that. Raji, does anybody know Raji? 
Rajay, he's very loud. Okay, so Raji walked into my house and he will not stop coming into my house and eating all of my food. He lives around the corner. He half the time invites himself or doesn't even ask and just shows up. And I'm okay with that. He's like my little brother. And so he's always showing up all the time. I, I, I think about those days when people walked through those doors. I remember Tim who's sitting here on the second, do you guys know Tim? <laughs> so I'm just gonna call out his sister for a minute because she knew me and she kept emailing me going, my brother really needs a church and wouldn't like, wouldn't, wouldn't leave me alone. So I was like, I'm trying to reach out to him, but he's ignoring me. <laughs> and so I'd be like, do you want to have a coffee with us? You want to come over? And like, no, he did not. I don't even know. How did you end up showing up? What happened? Oh, there you go. Did you guys hear that? Tim's sister said, I told Andy you were coming, and if you don't show up, you'll disappoint me. <laughs> but I tell you what, the moment he walked through that door, he hasn't left either. I mean, he was at my house way too late the other night. I was like, get out. I need to go to bed. You, there was a whole crew of them that just wouldn't leave. And I think, I, think about, I think about the beauty of the table, how Acts chapter 2 told us to break bread together, to come together in each other's homes. I think sometimes we forsake the gathering together in multiple spaces and places, and we forget what it's all about. I think about the power of the table, how my daughter, who was uh, not even just, well, actually, she had just turned two, and she was obsessed with a few different songs. And every time there was enough people, she's like, okay, I think we have enough people. She'd put on her tutu. She'd get her guitar. She'd bring out her microphone. And she sang to everybody. And she was our first worship leader. She was great. My kids were also our first welcome team. I don't know. Like, I, there was more people in the other service, too, that were, have been in the church since those foundational times. And my kids were the best guest team, the best welcome team, because the door would open and they'd be like, so-and-so, you're back. And my kids just welcomed people into the family. I actually reckon there are people that are still in our church because of my children, not because of my husband and I, but because my children remembered their names. And I want to say to you, if you're serving on the doors, if you are standing at the top of the stairs when people walk in, your hello and your remembering of someone's name means more to them than you will ever know. There are people in our church. And I want to say to you too, you don't have to wear a badge to say hello to somebody. You don't have to, like, if you ever see someone sitting alone in a chair and sitting there looking at all the papers, it's because they're probably here for their first time and they don't know anybody. Don't leave them sitting alone in their chair. You don't have to be on a team to be the community of believers. <sighs> Praise the Lord. Um, I think, though, about, like, even... Um, just a, just a few weeks ago, right before she is free, uh, I, I had a few people over right before we began because there's pastors and team and people that come and they're all alone and we're, you know, this, this new experience and I want them to connect with each other. I think we have that picture if you want to put it up. And I, I think I see even Ashley sitting there talking to this woman where they would have never sat around this table had we not opened our home, had you not opened your home. Have Think about community group. This is not just a, uh, hey, let's make sure we have community groups because that's what churches do. No, we open our homes to break bread, to make relationship happen. This past, this person that Ashley's talking to, she's a pastor in the Lower East Side who has just begun going, I need friends and I need help. This is difficult. And they're pastoring. And I look around my friend that's a pastor from Connecticut and Leah, who's in that picture, who's in and out of our church all the time. She's a creative butterfly that's all over the world. And I look at different people that are sitting there that never would have met each other. And you think about the power of the table. 
And I was even just back, I was in Zurich just last weekend, and I was sitting across from people I never would have met. We were sitting around a table sharing a meal together, and one of these very strong women who would never cry just starts sobbing, opening up her heart. And I tell you what, anybody ever been to Switzerland? The Swiss are very together people. And, you know, when I come with vulnerability and sharing story, they're like, please stop being vulnerable. Like, they are like, they're like, please, we hate this, you know. And so I was, like, trying to scale walls to get to the hearts of the people in Zurich. And as we were sitting at this table, this woman who is German, you know, she is German and she's very strong. And, um, and she's, like, she breaks down and she starts sobbing and she got embarrassed. And she's, like, I'm so sorry. I go, don't be sorry. This is actually the power of the table and us sitting together. And I realize I kind of want to go back to our roots this morning. Is that okay? Can we be reminded of our why as the community of believers? Can we be reminded of our why as Liberty Church? Why are we gathering? Why are we here? Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Let me read this to you. Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Devotion is a choice to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Do you see that, though? Even, like, the significance of that word. They devoted themselves, those four core things, to be taught, to be in fellowship, to break bread, to pray together. This is the foundation of our faith. These are things, again, this is why we are creating spaces. Again, don't don't think, like, oh, man, they're just in this program and that program. No, we're trying to open a door for relationship, for fellowship, for a place to break bread, for a place for prayer. And it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Listen to this. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Can you imagine? That is, we're like, we're worried about giving. And meanwhile, they're selling everything to take care of each other. And we're like, I'm not sure. No, let's give to each other. What if we would be like that? A people who would give everything to take care of one another. Every day they continued to gather in the temple courts. Okay, can, can we just stop there for a moment? We got, like, let's call this the temple worship. This is temple worship. And then we break bread in each other's homes. We've got all of these different things that we do as the community of believers. And meanwhile, we're like not sure about coming to the temple, but the temple is like every day for them. I'm like, these guys were intense and insatiable and hungry and they wanted the word of God and they wanted fellowship and they wanted to be together. May we be this radical and open and alive as the community of believers. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. I love that. More bread, more carbs. We talked about carbs are like godly, okay? But we also know that this is ancient grains, so it's probably better for you, right? Like actual, um, anyway, they broke bread <laughs> in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Now, this is beautiful. And when we read this, we're like, I want this. This is all we want. We can do this. Let's pray. Let's break bread together. Let's hang out. Let's come and worship together. Let's give to each other. But then we know the outworking of this is a hot mess, isn't it? Because we're involved. We are here. And, and we are here. How do we continue to work this out? How do we continue to see this happen? It's actually just one day at a time. One day at a time. But what I have learned over the last 10 years, and I guess this is the thing, like, you guys, I had no idea. I had no idea. When we moved here nine and a half years ago, I had no idea 
what this would outwork, what this would look like. I had no idea the beautiful highs that we would hit and the treacherous lows we would hit. I had no idea of the mundane seasons. I had no idea how desperately I would need people pouring out their lives to me so that I could continue. I had no idea. I had no idea that I would see great signs, wonders, and miracles amongst us. But the outworking of this, the highs and the lows, see, we're looking for Zen, are we not? We're like, hey, when we come together in church, can it be neat, tidy, and clean? And can everybody else be okay so that I can come maybe as a mess <laughs> so we can take care of me? No, we all have things that we bring to the table. And I love Love, love, that as I read the word of God, I see so deeply that our connection to one another, it really, really matters. And I also see that it's possible to do it well, but well does not mean clean. Well means that we follow Jesus' example. And as I read the word of God, as I see in Luke chapter 22, this message is called Lessons from the Last Supper, because I'm gonna read to you a huge passage of scripture um, from the Last Supper, because I, I don't, when I am discouraged, when I walk through a deep low, when I don't know what to do, do you know what? Do you know where I go? I actually go to the Word of God. See, I think what ends up happening is, is when we walk through a low point in our life, we are looking for someone to fix it. But the Word of God is full of encouragement in life. But I tell you what, my greatest concern is that we are not a people that are reading the Word of God. We are looking for a soundbite. We are looking for a quote. We are looking for a podcast. We are looking for a book that will fix it when Jesus already fixed it and gave us His Word. And so this morning what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read to you a part of Scripture because I was reading Luke and I just started laughing as I looked at how Jesus led his 12. See, Jesus is our great example on how to continually come to the table. As we look at coming to the table and breaking bread and the mess that can happen as we continue to do life together, I am greatly encouraged. When I feel discouraged, I'm greatly encouraged because Jesus is awesome and he shows us the way. And he invited so many things into his life that we forget and, and if we can just look and see how he did life with his 12. See, he has, a great, um, he has a great way. If we just look at how Jesus did friendship and relationship and discipleship. He had, he had 12 disciples that he just did life, three years of intense life with, right? Three years of intense life with. And then he had three very close friends that were within that. See, we've got to understand our margins too. You probably only have space in your life for three very close friendships where you will be vulnerable and show them your life and they can confront you and speak truth and love and you walk that through. And then there's probably room for you to have about 12, whether that's you opening your home on a weekly basis saying, come on in, let's do life together, 12 people. And then there's the multitudes where we gather in the temple courts, if you will, and we come together. But when we look at Jesus again, I wanna take some lessons from the Last Supper and how he did relationship and I hope that you laugh with me. But let me read to you. See, while I read this passage of scripture to you, I'm going to read a chunk of scripture because I don't just want to give you bullet points. I want to read the word of God to you. Does that sound good? We need to pull this apart. So while I'm reading it, I don't know if you're a picture brain or if you, if you like to keep your eyes open, but feel free to close your eyes as I read this. This is the Last Supper, and it is one of the most dramatic tables that I have ever watched. Now, pull it apart, maybe if you don't see it, or if it, but pay attention to how Jesus leads and what he does and what he is aiming for with his people. I'm going to start in Luke 22, and I'm going to start in verse 14. It says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired 
to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, for this, uh, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with me, is with mine at this table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays me. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And a dispute rose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the king of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is the greatest, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is, not the one who is, is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are the one you, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me. So as you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Fast forward, the dinner finishes. Jesus goes to the garden at the Mount of Olives. This is not in the scripture. I am saying this to you. And he asks his three to come with him and be with him because he greatly needs them. He is sweating blood. And he says to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And in verse 45, when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep and exhausted from sorrow. And he said, why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray that you may not fall into temptation. Now, I don't know what you got out of that. That was a, a chunk of scripture, but there was a lot of drama at the table and in the garden. I don't know about you, but like I said, I think as we look at gathering together and what this should look like, Jesus shows us this example. I just wrote down what all took place. At lessons from the Last Supper in the garden. There was intimacy, betrayal, gossip, questioning, competition, comparison, challenge, affirmation, truth and love, denial, apathy, and sorrow. All right. Sounds like who's in? Who's like, yes, I love being a part of the church. This is literally how Jesus leads us. This is what he invited to the table with him. He's like, come and sit with me, all of you ragtag bunch of people who do not have it together. Come and sit with me, and I love you. And guess what? Through those 11, because we know that Judas, you know, he had a moment, and then um, they pulled someone else in. But through 12 men, and then the group that were also men and women, the group of 100, and I'm getting the, I don't remember the number. How many? Someone, oh, I thought someone shouted out the number. Of the people that were at Pentecost, through that group of a hundred and something men and women, he literally changed the whole world. And we sit in the church today that they began. Does that blow your mind? So when we read this table and we're like, I'm discouraged. I thought my relationship was going to look like this with so-and-so. Or I thought this was going to work out this way. Or I thought this was going to happen. Or this is what I thought the church was supposed to be. Jesus is like, hey, just look at my table. Look at the people I chose to change the world with. 
And we can learn so much as we continue to do life together to have grace for each other. I mean, let's just start at the beginning. If we look at this, okay, there was intimacy, right? There was intimacy at the table. Jesus said, oh, how I have longed to have this meal with you. Why? He was longing to go from the old covenant into the new covenant, from where there was sacrifices and and all of these different things that had to happen where he was going, do you guys understand? I've been with you for three years. Do you see that the kingdom of heaven is actually coming through my life? I long to have this meal with you because this is the last time we need to have the Passover meal because I am the lamb. And they're like, what? What's happening? Let's just compete with each other and have stupid conversations while you're trying to share with us this deep, beautiful truth. He is eager. He says, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. And I, I just want to say, Jesus eagerly desires to connect with you still. Jesus eagerly. And you're like, well, I'm not sure. I don't feel like I deserve to be maybe at the table or this is like, or the, and Jesus is like, no, I'm like inviting you in. I am still inviting you in to sit down in all of your trials and highs and lows and the good and the bad. You are welcome at this table. And this is why, can I implore you when I'm like, I'm not sure if I want to lead a community group. I'm not sure if I'm like, can we please just open our homes for people? Can we like make a space for people to be loved? And if you're like, well, I need to be at a table. You know what? There are so many things that I need that nobody is doing for me. So guess what I choose to do? I choose to do it for them. I choose to open my house. Oh, I don't have enough mentors. I don't have enough people that love me. I don't have enough mothers in the faith. I needed this. And I'm like, yeah, there's a whole lot of things that I needed too. So I am choosing to be that for other people, to break bread, to open the doors, to make space. Do you know that picture that you saw? I prayed for that house and I prayed for that table. Why? So I can party as much as I want to and open my door. You need a baby shower? Great. I have a space. You need a venue to get married? You could probably do it in my house. You want a table? You... But I am serious. I'm like, I am so tired of our excuses for not opening our doors to break bread and intimately connect with one another. But first understand that you're invited to the table to intimately connect with God. Oh, but then I laugh so hard. You guys, this is funny. Like Jesus is like the most offensive leader. It's like, I've eagerly desired. Let's have communion. Let's do, you know, the Passover. Also, there's a betrayer at the table. But this is also why we avoid church, is it not? Because like, this is like, it's a lot. Please don't call me out. Please don't call me out. (laughs) But honestly, like Jesus, who's like, Jesus, I wish he was my pastor. I'm like, do you though? Like, do we wish Jesus was our, okay. (laughs) But, But do you know what else I love about Jesus? Even he had room at his table for someone who could betray him. That's difficult. That is difficult. And I think that, um, His example is just so phenomenal and difficult to follow. But we're meant to follow him, aren't we? Oh, gossip and questioning. So this is the funniest part. It says, after he says the betrayer is here, it says they began to question among themselves which of them it might be and who would do this. Just like get that picture, okay? They've just like, he's like new covenant, here you go. And then they're like, oh my gosh, like, I hope it's not me. And they like, can you imagine them breaking into groups and they're like, is it me? And I don't know. I mean, he's got, he said a lot of things I don't understand. I'm so, also, it's probably Thomas though, because Thomas like doubts everything he says. <laughs> Thomas, it's got to be Thomas or Bartholomew. Who even is he? Like, is he like, <laughs> right? So you, we think about like this conversation and this is all happening. Jesus, the greatest leader of the world, the savior of the world. These are the people he's like, y'all are going to change the world. You're going to start the church. And we think we're disqualified, not disqualified guys. 
Not one of us is disqualified. And so the fact that he's like allowing this mess to happen, and then it goes on to, and literally the next sentence says, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered the greatest. Like, what kind of meal is this? This is hilarious. So when you're thinking at work, you're like, I've got real problems with my team. I don't know what teams you lead or what teams you're on. Jesus is like, I got you. Just keep reading the text. Like, read my scripture. You want to be encouraged? Read Luke 22 again and understand there ain't nothing new under the sun. Like, people are people, and they need me at the table. They need Jesus at the table. And so it says that it began. Now, think about this. I think this is really funny, but when do we begin to question our worth? Because these guys were all invited to the table with Jesus, yet they still didn't understand how worthy they were as his people, as his sons. When do we begin to do that? We begin to do that when we are not validated in our created image, in the image of the Father. We're created in the image of God. We are loved. Jesus has atoned for our every sin for our life, and we are cleansed and made whole and new, and we have got a specific purpose, and we are loved and seen. The only time we begin to go, are they greater than me? I think they might be greater than me because they're louder than me, and they have better quotes than me on social media. And, like, this is when we begin to, to question our place when Jesus is like, you all have a place here. Why are you even looking around? But I love that Jesus, he doesn't, he, he lets them talk. This is what makes me laugh. He's like, go ahead. And then he jumps in. And what we see is there's a challenge that he gives. And then there's affirmation. We see that he challenges them. He says, guys, the greatest, let's talk about the greatest. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. Can we just stop there for a moment? The greatest among you should be like the youngest. That's not a throwaway. We go to the serving part, but he talks about being the youngest. Why does it matter to be like the youngest? When we are childlike, we see correctly. When we're childlike, when we are like the youngest, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those with faith like a what? child. So therefore, when we are childlike, we see correctly. And then it also says, should be like the youngest and the one who rules, like the one who serves. For who is greater? See, serving is what makes us great. This is why even with my children, does anyone remember that old song? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be a servant of all. No? No. I'm old, okay? So... They're like, oh my gosh, why is she doing that? Okay. But I sing that to my children when one, I'm like, welcome to the privilege of living in this house where I pay for everything for you. And they're like, I don't want to help um, Jesse take out the trash because it's not my chore. I'm like, oh, it's not my chore. If you want to be great. They're like, ugh, take the trash out. You're welcome. You're welcome that you have trash because that means you ate food. Welcome. So... So we go from that, he's like, you know, it's like, but he's like challenging them, but then he affirms them. He's like, but also I see you, and guess what? Because of the sacrifices you're all about to make, you also have a throne where you get to judge everybody. That's kind of intense. That's actually in the Bible. I didn't make that up. But he's like, your identity is secure as my 12 apostles, my disciples that started with me. There is a place for you. So yes, I will challenge you and your mindset. This kingdom that you're thinking about is not being the greatest. It's about serving to be the greatest. And also you do have a space and a place. I will affirm your identity and your calling as well because I see you. And then it goes into this place where he's like, also, let me give you some truth and love, Simon. You're about to be sifted. 
Can, can you imagine, like the highs and lows of this meal are intense. But don't you feel like this is our lives as we do life together? The highs and the lows of our lives together are a lot like this. Just this is all at one dramatic dinner. <laughs> and he says, Satan has asked to sift you all, sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brother. See, I love this again. It's truth and love. It's like, oh, Simon, I see you. I want to give you the truth. I need to tell you what is about to happen. But no, I'm praying for you because, Simon, you're going to be the one that when you come back, you're going to encourage the believers, the brothers, and the sisters in Christ. And who is grateful for Simon Peter? As you read him, I'm like, Simon Peter, thank you for coming back because we all needed you. I still need you as I read your words. I am so encouraged by him. And that man just takes the gap. I laugh through the book of Acts how many times it's like he turns around. He's like, oh, there's people here. Okay, so I'm going to tell you the gospel now. And, and I, I just love that about him. And um, there's also denial. But the fact that Jesus like straight up tells him, you're about to do this. And Simon's like, no, I am willing to go to prison and die with you. Okay, that's not true. Like, and also, this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus is willing to have people at the table with him who are not yet ready to face themselves. He's like, I'm telling you the truth, but you're not ready to face that. But come to my table. Be at the table with me. And then you go, you fast forward. to Actually, if you read the end of, of the dinner, it's very funny. Because he tells, I should have put this in here as well. But he, they're all, he's telling them, okay, now don't take very much with you. And we need to go. And, and then one of them is like, hey, look, I got two swords. And he's like, okay, that's enough. Like, that's literally the last words of the last word. That's enough, guys. We're not here to kill people. And um, so anyways... They go and he goes into the garden. What do we see? We see that they are in such a place where there is apathy and sorrow. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep and exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You know, even Jesus understands what it's like to, when you have like friendships where you thought, I thought you'd have my back, but instead you're asleep. Anyone been there before? We were like, dang it. But guess what? Jesus still loved them, died for them, walked with them. But they were walking through something too. There was grace there for each other. And we've got to understand that. So is Jesus' leadership in life and the way he did life, is that encouraging to anybody else or is it just to me? Is that encouraging to, a little bit encouraging? You still want it to be neat and tidy? Would you prefer that? Thank you for your honesty. I think we all would, right? Wouldn't we all just like to, everything to be a little bit more neat and tidy? And uh, the, the truth is, is I love this about Jesus, is that even in all of that, he was, um, he was okay with it. He, he invited this into his life. And I think we've got to get good at inviting the beauty of the table, the beauty of what actually breaking bread and doing life together means. And I, in the time that, oh my gosh, that we don't have left... praise. I'm just going to give you a couple of quick things. Just some really quick. Get ready. Uh, uh, praise the Lord. Wisdom, thoughts, and questions. Just things that I've learned over the last 10 years, and I want to give this to you. Okay, we are as we come together at the table in the mess and the beauty and the highs and the lows, we are responsible to guard our hearts. We're responsible to guard our hearts. Do you know the hardest thing about pastoring is I can't control you. I choose to not control you. So therefore, when I'm like, that's a really dumb decision, you're like, cool, this is, let's die today. I'm like, okay, wow, yeah, okay. This is like, 
this is the hardest thing. Is really, isn't this the hardest thing in relationship in general? We are not here to control each other. We're here to love each other. And gosh darn it, we've got to take care of our own hearts. So when someone else drives you bananas, you've still got to take care of the state of your own heart. When you're hurt or offended, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, not just a few things, literally everything else, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The state of your heart is something no one else can fix. No one else can take care of that for you. If you are bitter... Work that out with the Lord. If you are offended, work it out with the Lord. You've got the fullness of the Trinity right at your fingertips, ready to walk you through it. And guess what? We're supposed to do it in the mess of community as well. So if there's someone that you need to talk to and do life with, then do it. Show up for each other. Amen? Watch out for unspoken expectations, yours and theirs. Okay, this is what destroys our relationships. Anybody else? I'm like, husband, read my mind. What do I need from you right now? He's like, I will never know. <laughs> but the truth is I think about this, and I think of how uh, my, my assistant, um, Jessica, who actually I've known her for 10 years. She showed, this is a funny story. She showed up at our house at family dinners to make sure for her friend that started coming to our church to make sure we weren't a cult. And she didn't just show up alone. She brought her whole family. So there you go. Apparently we're not a cult because she still is here. And, um, and, and she works for me now. But we are learning how to work together. And I realized with the unspoken expectations, she, she said it was okay for me to share this. She's a one on the Enneagram, which means she wants everything in order before she will present anything to you. But I'm like, I'm sending her emails, sending her texts, sending, she's not responding to any of them. And I'm like, are you doing anything I asked you to do? And like, for real, are you working? And she's like, yeah, I'm getting it all done. I was like, tell me about it though. <laughs> so, so I had to say to her, I was like, I need you to invite me in. Like, tell me what you're, she's like, oh, oh, that's uncomfortable. I just want it to be perfect and presented to you. I was like, girl, no. <laughs> so we are working together, but I realized, I told her, I said, gosh, imagine I didn't tell you that. I would think you don't love me, you don't care about me, you're not working, you're because of my unspoken expectations that I never said to her. Do you know how we take care of unspoken expectations? Yes. We adult and we talk to each other. It's like this one thing, it's very amazing. So, um, but do you know a lot of times why we don't? It's because we just are assuming people are, should be thinking more like us. You should think more like me. So I have this unspoken expectation that you see me and you think like me instead of me talking with you, realizing we are all very different. But when we have unspoken expectations and we don't speak to the other person, guess what it turns into? This is the gossip. This is what it turns into. So we have to ask ourselves, do I operate in gossip or grace? Am I operating in gossip or grace? Because the table is a mess, and even in front of Jesus, they were gossiping in front of each other. Like, this is funny. But do I operate in gossip or grace? Do I, do I choose the benefit of the doubt, or do I choose to go, hey, let's have a conversation. I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to talk to you. Why do we not do this? Because we, we don't like it when anyone gossips about us, but we're very good at doing it to other people. Anybody? Or am I just alone up here? No, you guys are like, I'm going to back out of this place right now, back out of the church. <laughs> a gossip, this is what it says in, in Proverbs, a gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. Have you ever thought when someone's talking to you about everyone else that they're probably talking about you like that too? 
Oh, this is the thing we need to get better at. I do this with my own children. They're like, Mom, Jesse won't do this. And he made me really mad. And he won't. I'm like, uh, and do you want me to fix it? I was like, go talk to each other. And they're like, but. I'm like, seriously, though, go talk to each other. Because if, if I intervene, you're not going to like what I say. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Why don't we talk to each other? So my first thing, even in leadership, is I was like, have you talked to them about it yet? No, I was just getting wise counsel. Are you, though? So let's... Okay, so without wood, without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. Maybe some of us need to get good at throwing some water on people. I don't know, without wood. This is intense, James 1.26. If someone believes they have a relationship with God but fails to guard his words, then his heart is drifting away and his religion is shallow and empty. So that's intense. Thanks, James, brother of Jesus. Gossip makes messes that assume someone else will clean them up. And we've got to get good at cleaning up our own messes and give grace, choose the benefit of the doubt. If you're not going to talk to them, forgive them, let it go. But otherwise, talk to them. Because it says this, if someone is in sin or someone is doing something you believe is not godly, guess what? The word of God, again, we got to read this thing because it instructs us literally in every area of our life. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him it's fault. Between you and him alone, not anybody else. If he listens, you have gained a brother. Isn't that amazing? There's actually unity. You could gain a brother through talking to someone, through helping them out, through seeing them. Oh, man. But if he does not listen, this isn't. Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Who, who loves being in church? Is everyone okay? This is right in scripture. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay? So how do we do this? Truth and love. This is, this is the next thing. I'm taking a couple extra minutes. Truth and love are necessary to grow you and others. Truth and love. This is how we connect with each other. Not truth to be right or love to ignore a trespass. Not truth to be right or love to ignore a trespass. I have had to learn that there are a few people. That's why Jesus had his three. There are a few people where I'm like, give it to me. Hit me hard. Cut me deep. Because I know you love me. This is not so that you can be right or, or like be like, well, I need to rebuke you and put you in your place. It's like, no, actually, I love you so much, Andy. The way you're acting is inappropriate, and you need to step up and rise up and pull it together. And there are a few people that can do that, but this is what we have to learn. I've had to learn that if your opinion of me or for me is not rooted in the love of God or your love for me, then you are not safe, and you do not get to have that voice in my life. And we've got to learn that for ourselves and even how we love other people. When I want to say the truth to you, Eddie, is it because I love you or because I'm like, Eddie, I need to be right today. Like we, we have to understand it's about love. And as we do this, we grow and we mature. Okay, Allison, come up here. Um, instead of speak the truth in love, instead of being tossed to and fro, that's actually the context to this before Ephesians 4. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head Christ. The, the part before that is being tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. When we speak the truth in love, we help bring alignment because of love and it brings maturity to the body. We need each other. And then we gotta ask ourselves, do we operate in comparison or convergence? Do we compare ourselves amongst ourselves or do we converge together to bring maturity and wholeness to the body? In Ephesians 5, it talks about the fivefold ministry, the apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists. Thank you. 
And when you think about that, think about how different those are. And each of you would connect with one of these apostles. They are like the entrepreneurs of the faith. They raise and release. They see, they see the territory that we need to take, where we need to bring the kingdom of heaven. My husband is an apostle. That is why the man is like, we need to plant a church over there because people need Jesus. People need Jesus here. And he's going to be like, I'm going to raise you, release you, raise you, release you. This is why we cry a lot in this church because we're releasing people all the time. So the thing is, is that's what an apostle does. But the prophet's constantly like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why are you not on your knees? Why, is you, why are you not connecting with the Father? He's all that you need. Bringing love and joy and calling out who you are, the gold in who you are. Oh, and then there's the, the uh, teacher who is like, um, is anybody reading the word of the Lord? Please read your Bibles, right? And then you have the shepherd who is like, all you guys are so intense. We need to love people. Let's love, is everyone okay? Come here, are you okay? You okay? And the evangelist is like, I don't care how any of you are. There are dying people out there who need Jesus. We need to get out there right now, right? This is literally, and then the Lord is telling us in Ephesians, he says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teacher to equip the people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I, I laugh, but that is, we are supposed to converge together, not compare and be like, I wish you were more like me. No, we need this. We need everyone at the table. This is why Jesus brought everyone in. Okay, we're gonna begin to take communion here.